At their edges he had crouched, watching crimson masses of bloodworms as they transformed almost before his eyes and rose from the water to join quivering clouds of midges that hovered, faintly droning above. He would never see them again, for he had entered a place from which there was no return. Trapped by the weight of his own body, he could feel himself sinking with every passing second, could feel his hands moving uselessly against the seeping walls of the bog hole. Letting go an involuntary howl, he began to twist and claw furiously, reverting to the instinctive behavior of a trapped animal, baring his teeth and straining with every fiber, unable to reason or comprehend. But his feet were firmly mired in the slurry-like peat and would not come away. He was getting light-headed. His legs were numb, and as the frigid water seeped steadily higher, he began to tremble violently. Even as he felt the dread chill envelop him, he knew that his heart's blood would soon begin to slow. He ceased struggling and kept still, feeling each breath flow in and out, each one shallower than the last. A memory brushed like spider silk across his consciousness. A luminous face, a woman's voice soft against his ear. He had sunk to his shoulders. Soon he would be swallowed up, devoured by the insatiable earth, the origin and end of life. In the last few moments, it was only instinct that kept his chin above the surface, as each involuntary shudder drew him further downward. The water stung as it touched his wounds and began to trickle into his ears, slowly shutting out all sound but his own beating heart. Soon, only his face and hands lingered above the surface, but his eyes remained open, staring upward, so that the last image imprinted there was the dim, familiar outline of a head and shoulders, framed in the jagged opening above him by the dying light of evening. His saviour? Or his executioner? An instant later, living moss and damp peat showered down upon him from above, closing his eyes and filling his nostrils with the scent of sweet grass and heather as he abandoned all resistance and finally yielded to the bog's chill embrace. Chapter One Seventy miles straight west of Dublin, at the northern perimeter of Loch Bog, in the far western reaches of County Offaly, Nora Gavin's mind had already formed a distinct image of the man she was supposed to rescue today. It was not a complete figure, she imagined, for the man she was going to see had been cut in half, jaggedly severed by the sharp blade of an earth-moving machine. The image lodged in the back of her mind was of frayed and slightly shrunken sinews, ragged patches of skin tanned brown from centuries spent steeping in the bog's cold anaerobic tea. She knew she should feel grateful that even a portion of the body was intact. A few more seasons of trot-cutting, and he might have been completely scattered to the winds. It made her suddenly angry to think that an entire human being had been preserved for so long by the peat, only to be destroyed in the blink of an eye by the thoughtless actions of men and their machines. But the bleak reality was that she might never get the chance to examine an intact bog body, so she had to make the most of each fragmentary opportunity. It was Monday the 17th of June. The excavation season had begun only a week earlier, 
and the bogman had turned up the previous Friday. The business Nora would be engaged in today was just a recovery operation, to salvage the torso dug up by a bored Namorna excavator. It remained to be seen whether the body's lower half was still embedded in the bank beside the drain. That mystery would probably have to wait for the full excavation, something that would take several weeks to coordinate, since it involved a whole crew of wetlands archaeologists, forensic entomologists, environmental scientists, who analysed pollen and coleoptera and ash content, and experts on metal detection and film documentation. But since the bogman's upper half had been removed from his peaty grave, the recovery was urgent. Without the proper conservation procedures, ordinary bacteria and mould would start their destructive march in a matter of hours. Nora glanced down at the large-scale map she'd laid out on the passenger seat of the car. Driving into the west from Dublin, you couldn't be blamed for missing County Offaly. The two major motorways managed to skirt it almost entirely. The county had a reputation as a backwater, perhaps befitting a place that was one-third bogland. The Loch Nabrone workshop, her destination, showed as a cluster of industrial buildings on a dryland peninsula, a scrap of solid earth jutting out into the bog. Board Nemoyna, also known as the Turf Board, was Ireland's official peat production industry and had dozens of operations like this all over the Midlands. The bog itself appeared on the map as a set of irregular blank areas between the River Brosna and the hectares of arable land that enclosed it. She was surrounded on all sides by bogland and had evidently missed the turn for the workshop. It seemed too arduous to backtrack. The easiest way to navigate now might be to steer toward the looming pair of bell-shaped cooling towers at the nearby power station. That should put her within a quarter mile of the workshop. The power station looked like the old nuclear plants at home, but chances were the electricity produced here had always been generated by burning peat. No smoke poured from the stacks now, but the towers remained still and silent landmarks in this strange landscape. Scale was definitely the overpowering element here, where each furrow was fourteen metres across, and human beings were reduced to miniature among the gargantuan machines and the mile-long mountains of milled peat. Deep drains cut through the bog at right angles to the road. Ahead, Nora saw an enormous tractor with fat tyres that kept it from sinking in the spongy peat. The extension suspended from its cab on long cables looked like vast wings. Bearing down on her, with two front windows glinting in the sunlight, it took on the aspect of a monstrous mechanical dragonfly. Far in the distance, several similar strange contraptions in a staggered formation churned up huge clouds of brown peat dust. She drove on, toward the very center of the vast brown-black desert. The sun was still low, but strong. Racing before her on the road, she could see the car silhouetted in the golden morning light, a shape that contained her own weirdly elongated shadow. There was no one else on the road for miles. She opened the window and thrust her hand out into the wind, the way she sometimes had as a child, and felt her whole arm swimming, salmon-like, against the strong current of the cool morning air. She glanced over at the passenger seat and imagined her sister Trina as a child, red hair trailing down her back, 
her arm out the window as well. She grasped Trina's hand as she had done years before, and they flew along together for a few moments, reveling in their sisterly conspiracy of wickedness, and giddy with the sensation of being at least partially airborne. Suddenly, her mother's voice echoed in her head. Ah, oh, Nora, please don't. You know she insists on copying everything you do. Trina's bright face vanished, and Nora pulled her arm back into the car. There was little comfort in such memories. Trina was gone, and these fleeting images had become a precious, finite commodity. Eventually, the road surface became so uneven that Nora had to slow to a crawl to keep her head from banging against the roof of the car. Bog roads provided only the illusion of solidity. They were merely thin ribbons of asphalt, light and flexible enough to float above the shifting, soggy earth beneath. At this level, right down on the surface of the bog, you could see an unnatural barrenness where the earth had been stripped year after year to prevent the spread of living vegetation. It was only in comparing this landscape to what she knew of ordinary boglands that she could understand what was missing here. The teeming proliferation that existed in a natural bog and could grasp the fact that the dark drains stretching to the horizon and beyond were actually bleeding away the life-giving water. She imagined what the bog must have seemed to ancient people, a strange, liminal region, half water and half earth. To them it had been the center of the world, a holy place, a burial ground, a safe for stowing treasure, a region of the spirits. She tried to conjure up an image of what this spot might have been like thousands of years before, when giant oaks...